0: Take your Bibles if you can with me and go to Romans chapter 8 here this evening. Romans chapter 8. Uh, This is a preacher's famous last words, but I do not intend to take you long tonight, and I do mean that. Um, This is actually a text I've only preached out of once, and uh, this morning, early this morning in my prayer time, the Lord very strongly laid it on my heart. I've been praying about it all afternoon saying, Lord, are you sure? And he directed that, yes, this is what he would have for us. And so we're just going to trust his leadership on this, on this matter. Uh, back in September, I was asked, well, actually, beginning of the year, I think it was back in January, I was scheduled to preach at a Bible conference in Charlotte, North Carolina. And the conference was in September. And the pastor told me, he said, we're doing a Bible conference at our church, and the conference is on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And he said, uh, how much preaching have you done on the Holy Spirit? I said, well, I trust I've been preaching in the Holy Spirit, but I can't say that I have a, a lot of messages on just the doctrine of the Spirit. And, and he says, well, you know, if you can come up with some, we'd like to have you come and, and speak. And uh, there was another preacher, so that between the two of us, I think we were going to preach six times. We were going to split those sessions. And, and that was about all the, the heads up that I got. And so we scheduled the meeting. And then, I don't know, four or five, six months later, he contacted me and said, uh, I, uh, you got one week to give me all your session titles. So, man, I have not even been thinking about this. Um, I okay, uh, give me okay, give me seven days, and I'll I'll work on this. And so. I'm pulling back some of the seminary books that I had looked through at seminary going, man, okay, I've got to come up with these titles and trying to understand the doctrine. Certainly I believed in the Holy Spirit, and, and yet I began to realize, man, there's a lot I've not studied about the Spirit of God. And so I worked through my session titles, called a couple of pastors, and man, if you're going to preach four sessions on the Holy Spirit, how would you do it? And so they suggested, work it all through, I contacted the pastor, said, here's my four session titles. And I think what they were was... Um, It was like the the spirit in salvation, the spirit in sanctification, the filling of the spirit, and the spirit in the Old Testament. So those were my four titles. And then I got a chance to talk to an evangelist uh, who uh, if anybody knows here, John Van Gelderen, uh, he has preached much on the filling of the Spirit. And so I was trying to get a hold of him, trying to get a hold of him. I couldn't get a hold of him. Finally, after giving the pastor all my titles, about a month goes by, I get a hold of John Van on the phone, and I explain to him, I'm preaching at this this conference, and here's my four titles that I'm preaching. And I said, I, So I read them off to him. Here's this title, this title. And he listens to all the titles that I'm going to prepare to preach on. And he says to me, you missed the point. <laughs> that was encouraging. And I I said, what do you mean by that? He said, all of that, that's just doctrine. He said, the greatest thing about the Holy Spirit is that he's a person. He said, what you just went on about is is all about his doctrine, but you missed the person. He said, that's that's not the point. All right, his point was the person of the Holy Spirit. And I thought, I said, said, well, "Well, what what would you do if you were in my shoes? He said, call the pastor and cancel your titles and make new ones. And I said, well, he already put it in print. He said, well, you're gonna have to do something because you're missing the point. And so at that point, it triggered my thinking, and, and I began to study. I said, Lord, what am I missing here in the personality of the Spirit? And in fact, I came across a, a Spurgeon quote that helped me by this, because even Spurgeon wrestled with this. And he writes, he said, "This is, of course, this is back in 1855, but he wrote this, and, and said, I can think of the Father as a person. Because his actions are such that I can understand. I see him hang the world in space. I observe him wrapping the newly created ocean in darkness. I know it is he who formed the drops of hail, who determined the number of stars and calls them each by name. I can conceive of him as a person because I see his actions. I can comprehend Jesus, the Son of Man, as a real person, because he is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. It takes no great stretch of my imagination to picture the babe in Bethlehem or to behold the man of sorrows acquainted with grief or the king of martyrs as he was persecuted in Pilate's hall or nailed to the cross for our sins. Nor do I find it difficult at times to realize the person of my Jesus sitting on the throne of heaven or clothed with clouds and wearing the crown of all creation, calling the earth to judgment, summoning us to hear our final sentence. But when I come to deal with the Holy Spirit, his actions are so mysterious, his activities are so secret, his works are so removed from everything that is familiar to our mind and body that I cannot easily grasp the idea of him being a person. But he is a person. God, the Holy Spirit, is not an influence, not an emanation not a stream of something flowing from the Father, but he is as much an actual person as either God the Son or God the Father. And I I was helped by that because I began to realize, man, if Spurgeon thinks that way, it makes me feel better because I think that way. And as I began to study into the Scriptures trying to understand the personality of the Spirit, I was at first uh, plagued with the mentality of this is just theology and doctrine." And there may be some of you sitting here thinking, okay, we're about to get a lecture on pneumatology. That's not what I came for. But church family, if you do not understand the doctrine of the personality of Christ, you will fall into the same trap that I have fallen into and many believers for decades, and that is this trap written by R.A. Torrey. He says, if you think of the Holy Spirit as a mere influence or power, then your thought will be, how can I get a hold of that influence and power and use it? But if you think of him as as the Holy Spirit, as the divine person, then your thought will be, how can the Holy Spirit get a hold of me and use me? Do you see the difference? See, there's a lot of preachers, myself included, who have come to the pulpit and prayed on my seat, asking God, the Holy Spirit, Father, I need your power now. Come down and do something. In my marriage, Lord, I don't know what I'm doing here. I need your spirit to do something because I need you now. With my family, oh Lord, work in my children's life as they're growing. Father, spirit of God, I need you to work in them. In soul-winning experiences, I go out there and I'm looking to meet someone and too often I've said, okay, I need now the fresh anointing of the spirit so I can talk to someone and that's the extent of my understanding of the spirit. Trying to get a hold of him and use him when I need him instead of being at his every beck and call. See, too often we've used the Holy Spirit like we use our generator. You're all familiar with generators, aren't you? We hope they work when we need them, but when we don't need them, they sit idle. And then we get frustrated when they don't work the way we wanted them to at the point we decided to go and pull them out and try to use them again. And too often that's what we've done with the Holy Spirit. Instead of coming to the very Spirit of God, instead of saying, I want to use you for my ministry goods. I want to use you for my family advance. I want to use you for my uh, prowess or my reputation. Instead of coming into that way, we can come to the Holy Spirit and say, person of God, the third member of the Trinity, the, the Spirit who is a person, what do you want of me? Take me and use me. I'm sure many of you have heard this illustration, but in the 19th century, a group of pastors were organizing a citywide evangelistic campaign. As they discussed who should they invite to come and preach the campaign, uh, the name of the noted evangelist, D.L. Moody, was brought up. Reluctant to have Moody preach, one minister protested, why Moody? Does he have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit? The question was then followed by a long silence. Finally, another pastor spoke up saying, Moody, Moody, moody. No, he does not have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit, but the Spirit has a monopoly on him. Meaning that D.L. Moody was not a man out there to raise his praise and try to get a good reputation as a preacher. D.L. Moody was willing to simply be the servant of the Lord, and so he would come to the Spirit on a regular basis saying, Father, my hands are open. Take me, use me in whatever way you would like, but I am yours. Church family, really the thrust of tonight is that point right there. Submission to the person of the Spirit. Certainly, in a doctrinal and theological sense, it's very clear that the Spirit of God is a person. I had you turn to Romans chapter 8. I want to read just a couple of verses here to try to prove my point. Uh, The Scripture says in Romans chapter 8, verse 14, But as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit, that we are the children of God. Uh, Clearly, the context, he's dealing with the Holy Spirit, talking about the fact if you are born again, everything inside of you is longing to know, longing to be joined to the very Spirit of God. And jump down to verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to whip the redemption of our body. And I do think verse 23, it's talking, it's, certainly it mentions, okay, the uh, the very earth. It, it, it's groaning. It's it's uh, it's an old, I shouldn't say old earth in the sense of the, the creation evolution debate, but, this, but the fact that it's wearing out, it is groaning. And he says, even you in your own bodies, there's groanings in your own bodies because you're looking forward to the day when we will be... Uh, our, our bodies will be, will be uh, made new when we go to be with the Lord in heaven. And, and I do think probably, and I'm not trying to be funny here, uh, but you, the majority of you all understand that bodily groaning more than I do because as you have lived your years, uh, I, I've talked to many elderly people who as they get closer to the day where they know they're going to see the Lord, every bit of them just says, Lord, I want to go home. You begin to feel uh, uh, very acutely that this world is not my home and my spirit, the very spirit of God in me, longs to be reunited, excuse me, uh, reunited with Him. And and so He says, Look, even our own bodies have that yearning, that, that, that longing, waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Now, look over at verse 26. And He says, This likewise, the spirit also, notice this is talking about the spirit. This is not just some green Yoda force. This is not some uh, floating orb that you see in some kind of sci-fi movie. This movie, this is a person. He says, likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. I'm sure many of you have been comforted by that passage, but do you realize what that verse is telling us? It's telling us that the very Spirit of God, the person of the Holy Spirit, feels the same urges, pains, and even deeper than I do, and is taking our hurts, pains, and groanings and intercessions, taking them before the Lord in a way that God can hear and understand. He, when when we feel our own groans and pains of the difficulties of this world, and we don't even know how to take them to the Lord, the Spirit of God, who also has emotions and can feel, can take those things and bring them to the to the Lord, in a way that we could not. Look at verse 27. And he, you're going to th- see three things in this verse. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So in verses 26 and 27, we see clearly emotion, mind, and will, all three, the three attributes that make a person a person, they're all connected to the Holy Spirit saying he not only has emotions, he feels, he feels deeper than you and I feel. He feels the things we can't even utter, he feels them. He has a mind, a very desire, a heart for you, and he also has a spirit, a mind, excuse me, mind, will, and emotions, and, and, and so this, this passage is helping us in, in very concise understanding that the Spirit of God is a person, and to that we probably would all say amen, but isn't it amazing how often we don't treat him that way? Uh, another understanding in the doctrine of the Holy Spirit is that he has uh, personal pronouns that would ascribe his personality. In fact, one of the men quoted this verse here from the pulpit earlier, but in John 15, uh, but when the comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, so it's clearly talking about the Spirit of God, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. So if the personal pronoun he is used, what does that indicate? person, and it indicates male, okay? I'm not trying to be funny, but the Holy Spirit's pronouns are he, him. Let us not let that be hijacked. He is a person. uh, John 16, why don't you turn there real quickly, because I want you to see this. John 16, turn there with me. John 16, verses 7 and 8. Notice how many times the Spirit of God writing this word, giving John the words to write, is trying to make it very clear that he is a person. John 16, uh, verses 7 and 8. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. Jesus is saying that to the disciples. That, wait, 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 why? Why is it good for, me to, for you to go away? For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when He is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Jump down to verse 13. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you the things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and will show it unto you. Do you think the spirit of God, by inspiration upon John, was trying to make a divine point? He is a person. And when we read that, we make it. We all understand, yeah, he, he's a person, but isn't it amazing how many times we treat him as an object? This afternoon, Pastor took me out uh, to lunch with several of the men, and I want you to just imagine with me, I thought I saw one up here, yeah, I did. I want you to imagine with me that uh, Pastor's gonna take us out for lunch today, and uh, I say, he, he says to me in the back hallway, okay, hey, Brother Reed, we're gonna take you guys out to lunch. I want you to come on, uh, grab your Bible and stuff. I say, oh, hey, Pastor, uh, do, do you mind if my friend comes along? He says, Your friend, you got a friend? I do. You see this, I think this is hymnal, right? Yeah. Okay, yes. You see this hymnal? Um, this is my travel buddy. He goes with me everywhere. And pastor would kind of look at me like, okay, he must be a jokester. But yeah, come on. So we, we go to the restaurant and I take him with me and, and we come down there and the waitress comes up and says, where would you like to be sitting? Are there five of you? I said, six, please, excuse me. I want six. There's There's another one with us. Okay, so they go and sit us down, and I say, you, "Is that okay? You doing all right? Good. All right. Okay." We're sitting there, and the waitress brings the menus, and, and they say, "What would you? What would you? Oh, careful, Sonny." And, and they say, uh, "What would you all like?" And I said, "I'd like water, and, and and he would like a tea." <laughs> Pastor, who did we invite? And you know, as, as as the day would or the meal would go on, I might make some more comments. And I said, "Oh, my 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 friend, he would like to make a comment." By the end of that meal, Pastor's conclusion was, "This guy has lost his ever-loving mind." Right, because clearly this hymnal is not a person. This hymnal is simply pages, numbers. It's a hardbound cover here. There's, this is an object not to be referred to as a hymnal. And in fact, it actually insults people around me when I refer to an object as a person, correct? And yet, so often, we have the Spirit of God with us and we treat him simply like an object and we don't think that bizarre at all. We don't think it's strange at all. We don't think it offensive at all. When we go to Jesus and say, I'd like your power right now, but not later. Or I'd like your power right now to to rest on me if you would work work on me now. But when you prompt me to turn the television off tomorrow night, no go. That's my time. See, the whole issue of this, of this message that I'm, I'm burdened to communicate here this, this morning, or excuse me, this evening, is the fact that the, the scripture reveals to us that he is a person. And if he is a person, he has desires. And if he has a, a mind and a will, he has something for me to do, not just for me to do it, so that, but so that the very power of God could rest on me to use me. And yet too often I resist because of not willing to be surrendered. Has anybody ever heard the name Walter Wilson? Do you know that name, Walter Wilson? Uh, he wrote a book a number of years ago, in fact, turn of the century, uh, Just What the Doctor Ordered. Anybody recognize that book? Okay, it's, it's a series of soul-winning stories. Walter Wilson was a physician as well as a preacher. Uh, his books, I think he has five or six books, uh, are filled with incredible soul-winning stories, divine appointments like you've never heard before. And, and I remember reading this, his book as a kid just being blown away. To, to give you a, for instance, one of his stories, uh, it's January 3rd, turn of the year, I think maybe like 1903, 1904. and uh, January 3rd, he's down in New York City. He has his briefcase of wares that he's going to go take to a customer and show him off to the customer and, and see if he can get a sale. And as he gets to New York City, this is later on in his life, and uh, when he gets to New York City, he gets to his hotel and he checks in and he kneels down at his bed there in his hotel and says, Lord, this is a large city of six million people. Spirit of God, you are working in someone here. Very similar to the message we preached this morning. He said, Spirit of God, would you lead me to the person that you are working in? And so then in that point, he yielding to the Spirit, looking for the Spirit's direction. He, he walks out and he goes down the, uh, down the street there and he passes a leather goods store. And there was a booklet in the leather goods store that he thought, that's actually a booklet I need. He had a habit of making a prayer journal where he would write a prayer on one side and as the Lord answered it, he'd record the answer and he'd date it on both sides. And so he thought, well, that booklet looks about what I need for the new year. It was January 3rd. And so he walks into the little store and he comes up there, says the little German behind the uh, desk, he says, I'd like to look at that prayer book, or that, that leather book, excuse me. And the man brings it out to him, begins wrapping it up. And uh, the, man, the man says, uh, what are you going to use this for? And he says, well, I'm going to use it as a prayer book. And the little German opens it up and says, it's blank. Because in his mind, in the liturgical uh, religion, you, you, you uh, recite your prayers. And Walter Wilson says, no, 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 no. I pray to God, and then he answers, and I record it. And the man looks at him closes it, wraps it up, comes around the corner, lays down the book and grabs Walter Wilson by the collars and says, do you know God? He said, I have gone through all five boroughs for years looking for God. I've gone to meetings and preachers and no one has told me where God is. Do you know God? And Walter Wilson leads him to the Lord. He has book after book filled with stories just like that. Very similar to the stories we were telling this morning. And as a young kid, I found myself thinking, man, Walter Wilson has the connection down between the spirits. But it wasn't always that so. In fact, there was a time early in Walter Wilson's ministry where he was not in tune to the Spirit of God. He was working as a physician for a large factory and in the factory, there was a lot of ladies that were working. They were doing sewing machines. Uh, I don't remember the product they were making. Uh, but at one point, a young lady came to his office, and, and she had a minor cut in one of her fingers from her sewing machine. And they took very careful uh, care to try to make sure the sewing machines were were safe and all. And so he, he looked at her hand, and it was a minor cut, and he bandaged it up and chided her on her lack of care and, and sent her out of his office. A couple of days later, she walks in, same finger, it's hurt. Uh, much more severely he can't believe what that the young same young lady would hurt herself she must be uh, really just a simpleton and so he bandages it up again and again uh, charges her that she must be more careful or else they will not be able to keep her in in their employ she leaves and he calls the manager of the floor and says you better go check on that machine and to make sure everything's safe because she continues to injure herself and so the manager went down looked it all over said there's nothing here that's wrong came back to Walter Wilson and said the machine is fine Several days would go by and the girl was brought back into his office. The needle from her sewing machine had gone down into the bone and had broken off. There she's having a hard time standing because the pain is so great. And he brings her there and she lays her hand down on his table. And Walter Wilson is just astounded. This girl clearly cannot be trusted with one of these machines. And so he begins to bandage her up. And I won't go into the details because it was quite gruesome about how he had to get that out of there. But in the process, he tells the girl, it's very likely that you're going to get blood poisoning from this. And you will probably die, or I shouldn't say probably, it's possible that you could die from blood poisoning. And so finally at that point, he says, have you ever considered about eternity? She turns and looks at the man. She said, sir, I have come to your office three times hoping that you would tell me. I came the first time having purposely put my finger under the needle, hoping to get just enough blood that I would have to come to your office because I needed the issues of my soul to be dealt with, and you didn't talk to me. She said, I tried harder the next time. You still would not talk to me. You just chided me on not being careful. She said, I decided this morning the cares of my soul had been so deep. I decided it was worth it that I must make it so bad that you couldn't help but talk to me. I need the cares of my soul to be dealt with. Walter Wilson said he was so struck by the fact that he had not listened to the Spirit of God. He said, clearly, I was not in tune to him. He said, my heart was so heavy, but turning that over, back over to the Lord, he began to witness to the young lady, and she trusted Christ. But at that point, God began to change his life, and realizing there are people everywhere if we would just be in tune. So here's my question for us tonight. We're not going long. Are you surrendered to the person of Jesus Christ? See, it looks like dying to self. We cannot come and ask God for some of his blessing if we're not willing to yield all to him. Does God know that you are a person that he could pour out his power on? That he could flow power into this world through you because he knows that you are regularly submitted and yielded to the promptings of his spirit? Does your, is your life marked by dying to self? Because a person who is not, has not died to self, a person who is living for their own aims, their own goals, and their own pleasures will not be able to be greatly used of God. A mark of Christianity is taking up your cross and dying daily. What I mean by that is where every bit of me is yielded to the Father on a daily basis throughout the day, does that mark our life? Jesus Christ gives us the example of brokenness as he comes into the garden and there in the garden with with a, a painful future in front of him, Jesus cries out, this is the very son of God crying out, I don't long to go to that cross, but not my will, but thine. He prayed that three times because even Jesus had to go to the place where his will was yielded to the father and church family. He's given us the example. He's given us the power and he desires to do the same thing in us if we would also come to him in the same place of yielded submission and brokenness. The power of God is present to do great things if we would be yielded to him. I will close with this in application. How often do you hear the spirit's voice and resist? And how often do you hear the spirit's voice and submit. Too often we want miraculous stories. We want divine appointments, but we don't want submission. Oh, he is a person. He's a person with will, heart, desires. He's a person who's willing to prompt, lead, and direct, but he just needs someone. Not looking to get great stories, but just someone who from the moment you get out of bed to the moment you close your eyes would be yielded and submitted that the Holy Spirit would be able to have a monopoly on you and I. Can I ask you all to bow your heads with me here this evening and close your eyes? Husbands, if you would be used of God it would start in your home. Instead of fighting for your desires, your reputation, your ideas, your opinion, brokenness starts in the home. Yieldedness starts in the morning with Jesus. Wives, seeing God do great things, starts in the home with Jesus. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if God has dealt with you about an area of lack of submission or simply, Father, I long to hear your voice. I don't even know what it sounds like, Lord, but if you'd show me, I'd listen. The piano's going to play here. Could I just ask you to stand with me if you're physically able and just do business with the Lord. If you need to sit back down, you are you could do that. But let's all stand together. The piano's going to play and give an opportunity to just submit to the Lord. If you would say, Father, take all of me. Do whatever it takes. I want to know your presence. I want to know your person, not alone, not not just your power. I want to know you, and I want you to know me. As the piano plays, would you do business with the Lord? If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church, Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285.